Hello, hello. I am continuing my conversation. This is part two with Nick and Anna Hernandez. It is Autism Awareness Month. They have three beautiful children, one of whom is Nicholas, a.k.a. Bubba. He is autistic. They go through their amazing story. They talk about his diagnosis. They share some very informative information. And I'm so blessed to have had this talk. I learned a lot and I hope you enjoy. Hello. Um, we are back um, with Nick and Anna Hernandez. The last time we had this conversation, we kind of left on a cliffhanger because their story is so complex and just ups and downs full of emotions. And so I'm excited to have you guys back. How has it been? I know it's been a little bit, but kind of um, during our last conversation, we left off where you were Bubba and you now have three children. <laughs> <laughs> So Elias um, was your newest addition because you went to the doctor, found out you're <laughs> pregnant. Total surprise. And then, like I said, now you guys have three kids. Um, how's life been? Crazy, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Ups and downs. How do you guys... I mean, I guess... Today, we kind of want to focus on a lot on Bubba, but because it's Autism Awareness Month, and which was totally unplanned. I like to think I could just totally play it off (laughs) (laughs) and say, hey, you know what? I looked at the calendar and I no, I had no idea. It just worked out perfectly. So it is Autism Awareness Month and um, Bubba or Nicholas, he is your eldest child. He is how old now? Six. Six years old. And he was completely fully adopted at what age? Two and a half. Two and a half. And I, I remember during our last conversation, um, you said it took a, a while for him to finally get officially adopted. Yeah, because we had him at five weeks old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was about, home, two, and a half about, yeah, about yeah. two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, obviously, you had another adoption with Nati. Mm-hmm. And then your... So you said it was three kids under three for a while there, huh? Yes. <laughs> for a while, we had three under three. Yeah. yeah. So at that time, um, can you just walk me a little bit through that process of when you... Because you were also in school. Getting yes. your What type... What is your schooling in, Anna? Um, I was... I, I feel like I was in school forever. Um, you were. I was, <laughs> um, I was, when we were in the process of adopting Nicholas, I was finishing my BA. And then when we got Natalia, I was, I had started my credentialing program. So yeah, that's what, that's where I guess we left off at with that because I just finished my credentials in December. Yeah, what in single subject, multiple subject? Oh, um, multiple subject. Well, I have two. Um, so one is a mod severe credential and a mild mod. And what are those? Mild mod? I'm sorry, mild to moderate disabilities. No, that's okay. People who are listening there, they might not know. I know sometimes in the education world, there's all these crazy things. So, Well, so- now actually the, the moderate to severe dis- um, credential, it's called an extensive needs credential. So they, they changed up the verbiage on that. So were you already pursuing 
the special education credential when you had Bubba? No. Tell me a little bit how you ended up there because I feel like it was just, I just think it's so crazy how this all played out. People don't even know the drama <laughs> and the complexities of just everything and how you guys ended up here. How he, how we got him, how everything just came to be. Um, so I had applied for, for BCSD with, um, and I applied for two positions. I applied for a mild to moderate classroom and then the regular gen ed classroom. Um, they called me up for an interview and I asked what am I, um, you know what I was going to interview for. And she was like, um, I'm just going to put you in the mild mod pool, like in the sped pool. And I was like, uh, okay. And I had no sped experience whatsoever. Um, but I did want a mild to moderate, um, credential and eventually be in that class. But I wanted to have both because I thought I also wanted to teach gen ed. So anyway, um, I go in for the interview. And then while I was in the interview, the director that was interviewing me said that she thought I was going to be a good fit for a moderate to severe autism classroom. I said, you know better than me. So I just went with it. I took the job. Then I got put into um, a high functioning autism classroom. And that's where I started. At that point, Nicholas was already a year and a half. It was a year and a half old. Yeah. Um, and we had already started noticing things about him like speech regression. He had stopped talking, wasn't saying mom and dad anymore, nana, papa, you know, everybody's names he knew and he just stopped talking. And so that was obviously a huge like, okay, what's going on? Um, and at the time, I didn't know a whole lot about autism, like, but we could see that there was something going on with him, him playing by himself all the time, no eye contact. We could call his name and he wouldn't look over at us, just little things like that. But with being in that classroom and me having that class, I started seeing like so many little bits and pieces of him and in my students. And I would tell Nick, you know, this student is doing what, what Bubba's doing. And this student was doing this, you know, the flapping, the rocking, the running on his tippy toes, like so many little things that he does were what my students were doing. And I, he would say like, and not that he was in denial, but just kind of like, uh, I think you're overthinking it type of thing. And we just said, you know what, let's just be, let's just be safe and start getting him assessed. So we took him to the doctor um, doctor said, you know, he, that he has autism. We got him referred to Kern Regional Center. They started with early intervention services. So at that point, um, Kern County doesn't diagnose until they're three. So he was two, I think he was like two years old at this time. So we had to do early intervention services up until he was three in order for Kern Regional Center to give him like that official diagnosis. So in this time, I'm learning about autism because this is my first year teaching, my first year in in an autism classroom, my first experience with my firstborn son, you know what I mean? Like all, all those things with my first son and um, having him have autism in us, kind of learning how to handle it, deal with it. Um, so it was just crazy how it all came to be because I don't know if we would have if I hadn't been in that class, I don't know if I would have seen it as fast as we did. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to, because I feel like this is such a 
tough topic to talk about. I imagine that any parent, it would just be something that is so hard to navigate. You have no idea what's going on. You know, Nick, for you, um, when she brought up some of these questions, what were you, what was your thought process and how were you handling that? <clears throat> for me, I mean, like she initially said, I was like, well, I don't know. Let, maybe you're, maybe you're just seeing a lot of your, you know, your kids from school and him, but you know, let's just give it time. I just said, let's give it time. Maybe it's something he'll grow out of, or, you know, maybe, um, maybe we're just pushing the envelope a little bit. And so Anna didn't really, you know, push it too much after that until, you know, she kept bringing little things to my attention and, and she was like, see, look, you know, he's, he's doing this. This is, it's a typical, I mean, it's a behavior, you know, of, of kids with autism. And I was like, okay. And so we finally, like she said, when we finally go, took him to get assessed by the doctor and then, took him to Kern Regional and don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's a, in the beginning, it's a hard pill to swallow because mm -hmm. as a parent, like you want your children to have all those opportunities, you know, you want them to, you know, be successful and go to school and go to college and hold a job. And, and, you know, when they're little play sports and, and, you know, all those things that kids do. So, and then, you know, here I was, you know, we, we never knew nothing. Like she said, we never knew nothing about autism before. Mm -hmm. And here I am like on Google, you know, trying to look things up and, and, and just familiarize myself with it because it's our life now. You know what I mean? Like here we are, we have this, you know, a two year old child that we work so hard to, to be a part of our family. Mm -hmm. And now he's coming in or he's getting this diagnosis and it's, it's definitely a hard pill to swallow, but we, um, we kind of took it with a, with an attitude. We're like, okay, this is, this is what he is. This is what we've worked so hard to get. Mm -hmm. He is ours now. So we're going to take this like head on, you know what I mean? And we just, we just sat down and, you know, a few nights and we just talked and we're like, look, this is real, you know, like, yeah. this is what, this is what's going to happen. And we kind of, you know, like try to prepare ourselves for it, but nothing can compare, you know, can prepare yourself for what's to come with when you have a kid with well, a child with a disability, you know, especially a disability with autism. So did you ever feel, and I don't want to, I guess this is kind of a hard question to ask. Did you ever feel like angry? or disappointed or was it just more of a realization and did you guys have a different approach? No, we definitely felt that, but the best way that I can describe it is like you mourn mm -hmm. what life you've envisioned for your kid. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, like, you know, the playing sports and the doing all of those things and you see what, to go and play sports with some, like, you know, for him to be in sports, right? Nick grew up in sports his whole entire life. Like, I know it's his dream to see his son out there playing football and wrestling and doing all those things too. But he, Nicholas has such a hard time socializing. And so then you see, like, he, he was nonverbal at the time. So you're like, he's not even speaking. He doesn't interact with anybody. And not that he doesn't want to, but he just couldn't. And I, you think to yourself, like, when is he ever going to play a sport? And you just kind of mourn, like this life that you've envisioned for, for your child. Um, you think 
I mean, and I'm not saying he can't, but, you know, at the time, this is like, these are the thoughts that were running through my head where like, you know, is he going to go away to college? Is he going to, what is he going to do? Is he going to be with us his whole life? Like you just start thinking of all these things and you are angry, you are upset because that's not the life you want for your child. Like, I don't want to see him struggle. Mm, yeah. And so you, you, it's just, it's more of like a morning and, and it's not feeling like an, like angry at the card that was dealt to us, you know, because like he said, I think the struggle of how we were, how we got him and how hard we fought to be able to keep him like that, the feeling of not knowing whether he was going to be ours or not, that was way greater, like a way greater pain to me Mm -hmm. than his autism diagnosis. Mm. So I feel like if I have to pick and choose, like, which is harder, it's definitely going to be not knowing whether we were going to be able to keep him or not. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of took the autism thing like head on, but you still, even today, like I still feel upset and angry sometimes at, at things because I don't want him to struggle. I want him to be able to do all the things that his peers are doing at the age that he's, you know, quote unquote, like supposed to be doing it. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like that you said that morning because I feel like expectations in any walk of life, but I imagine, especially when it comes to kids, whether we like it or not, we place this idea of how we imagine things are going to be. And even we talked about it the last time we had a conversation about you. It's like you get married and you try to have a family and you guys experience infertility. And I shared a little same thing. It's like, you have these expectations of what you think your life is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have this little baby, it was already the expectation of you having a biological child was changed. And then you adjusted and then you went through that process of adopting. And then you have this new adjustment and a new morning. And I feel like that's just so much to, I feel like I just, my brain right now, there's so many questions because how were you two doing? I know a lot of times like the focus is a lot on Bubba, but like, how were you guys as a married couple during this time? It was, um, it was, it started to get hard, especially after like, you know, we got his diagnosis and, you know, we decided, you know, and it, we, we decided very, I mean, really early on, like, Hey, this is what we got. You know, this is what's going on and we're going to deal with this head on. Like we're going to, we're going to be his number one advocate. You know, we just had, we just, we were going to go with this full force Mm -hmm. and we did. And all of our time and strength and energy went into that. Mm. So when you're so focused on, you know, your, your career and your children and everything else, you know, your marriage kind of gets put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, like a couple of years of, of that, I mean, yeah, it, it was hard at first. Like you, you, you start to see a little bit of, of separation from you, your spouse or with each other. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of time, um, for each other when you have a child with, you know, with the disability and then put two other children on top of that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's still hard, you know, to this day, Absolutely. we, we still, tr- st- we still struggle sometimes, but we've, Finally, after, you know, Bubba's six years old, you know, it wasn't until recently where 
we had to be able to balance the two, yeah. you know, because yes, our kids are, are important. They're, they're always going to be their number one priority, but so was our marriage, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was difficult at first, yeah. you know? And, and like I said, we're, we're still trying to, you know, find, yeah. um, find the ways to, to make things all work together. So, but. Cause yeah. I imagine that, like I said, it's, Marriage is hard enough and then you throw in and parenthood is hard enough and then you throw in these extra challenges, you know, and not that it's like we love Bubba so much and it's hard, you know, so I feel like it's Mm -hmm. like such it's such a both. And you said that around a year and a half when you were in the program, you started noticing you called them behaviors. Is that what is equivalent to a symptom? Um, Yeah, I would say I would say that um, like. Very typical would be like repetitive behaviors. So like spinning, flapping, running on their tippy toes. What's like, flapping? Um, flapping would be like uh, kind of like with hands. Flapping your hands or okay. your arms. Yeah. So um, like both hands kind of out flapping. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like in like an up and down motion. Yes. Okay. And so just in general or when he was angry or is, is it emotionally related or you just noticed it was in general? The running on his tippy toes was always... Um, the flapping could be when he's excited. It mm-hmm. can be when he's starting to get upset, mm-hmm. uh, overstimulated. It, it, there's, there's so many things that go, go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also, he also has self injurious behavior, so he'll, um, he'll hit his head a lot. And so that is, can either be automatic with him just being excited and he, he can be happy, but he'll still do it because he needs that pressure. Or if he's upset, he'll do it more. There's other times where he does it and it's just automatic. Like he's not happy. He's not excited. He's not mad. It's just like an automatic thing that, that happens because he needs that pressure Mm. on his head. Um, like it's a comfort for him. Yes. Okay. Yes. So imagine having an itch somewhere, Mm -hmm. like let's say your arms cast it up and you have an itch on your forearm and you can't itch it. It's almost the same feeling that Bubba has when he's overstimulated Mm -hmm. and that's his way of getting it out. That's his way of itching himself is to rock back and forth, is to spin, is to flap. That's how he gets that feelings that he has inside. That's how he gets them out. That's how he he expresses it. Okay. So at this time, was Natalia in the picture at around one and a half? Okay, because... That is a whole other aspect here because you're telling me that you already started, you were in a program, you already, you started noticing you guys were already having conversations and then this other second baby comes in the picture. Were you nervous to bring in another child with this diagnosis or how did you guys navigate through this process? Um, we, so we got her when he was two, so he had not been diagnosed by like a clinical psychologist yet. This is just by the doctor. We already knew, but in this process, like he, he, he wasn't was still, three. Yeah. He okay. wasn't three yet. So, um, we got her when she was two or when he was two, I mean, um, and we did question whether we were going to get her or not. I was, I was, it was my first week teaching when they called me. She was literally in her training. Yeah. I was in a training. Her first week of training when we got the phone call for, mm-hmm. for Natalia. I know you mentioned that and you were just like, what the heck? And then you said no. And then you said yes. And then you, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
it, it was it was a lot and there was so much going on um that I just had told him like how do we do this how do we bring this newborn baby girl in and with everything that we have going on and not give her the same attention that we give him you know but then and so then I said no and he was like okay but then when I sat in the training I was like no you know you we can't say no to her you we have to get her so mm-hmm. then we got her and we just said we're going to figure it out like we'll we'll figure out how we that's literally what we said yeah. with no plan. And we're like, we'll, we'll figure, figure it, out. it out. And you have. <laughs> and she's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So can you walk me through, because you mentioned a clinical psychologist. Can you walk me through a little bit of what that testing process looks like? Because is it a standard process across the board or did he have specific services because he was fostered to adopt? Um, it's across the board. Okay. So say... a. An individual takes their child in um, to Kern Regional Center before they're three. They'll start with early intervention services um, with some kind of provider here in town or one of the school districts. They'll come out to the home and and work with the child. So then at that point, the people working with them, they start doing their observations, assessments, testing, and then all of that stuff kind of gets put together along with Kern Regional. They do their testing, observations, um, parent surveys, all sorts of stuff. All of that combined is what would then give the give them um, a diagnosis. And how long is that process? Gosh, it well, I it, it took a couple months for them to like when they were doing like the actual testing and everything and the assessments. It was a couple months mm-hmm. um, before we held the IEP and everything, and for them to say that he. That was like their official diagnosis. And what's an IEP? And um, an individualized educational plan. Mm-hmm. So that is basically a special plan for a student that is totally catered to them. It gives them specific educational goals that's going to benefit them. Um, all their accommodations. So if they need extra time on testing, a separate room, do they need a little wiggly chair because they're, you know, they need to wiggle all day long. They, they'll get that written in their IEP. Um, extra time to respond, another mode for them to respond. Just it, every accommodation that you can think of will be written in the IEP. And that's what their school has to go by mm-hmm. in order they have to follow that because that's the best plan for the student. And that's how you're going to set them up for success. Um, I've sat in on several IEPs. I also work in education and um, I often notice parents kind of trust the school quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, I guess, advice or insight on how to advocate for your child or on what types of things to look out for when that IEP meeting is being held or when they're writing up um, this plan for the kiddos? For them to educate themselves, um, educate themselves about autism. And autism is like such a huge spectrum that one kid is not like the other. It's not a one size fits all type thing. So what 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 Nicholas does is well, I have I have two nephews that also have autism and so the way that Nicholas is is not how one nephew is or the other so his needs are completely different so you need to go in there knowing what your child needs how what what makes them successful at home what makes them what lets them have a good day at home and talk to the teacher talk to the therapist and let them know this is I do this and this helps him so that they can also 
do it in the classroom and vice versa. The teacher can also tell the parent the same thing and educate the parent. You know what? When we give him squeezes, he relaxes, he's able to do X, Y, Z. So that like they, they just need to have an open line of communication and the parent should not feel scared to speak up and say what their concerns are or, or what they want for their child. Because the only way that that child is going to be set up for success is if there's that open line of communication. And that's why it's called an IEP team because they're all supposed to work together to make the best plan for that child. Yeah. And I know that you received education in it. So you, as you were teaching, you were learning and growing not only for your students, but now for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had a whole different type of training. And so Nick, did you rely a lot on Anna or like you said, you started researching or how did you guys kind of mesh together and how did you approach it from the dad side and from the other parent? In the beginning, I, I, you know, I did some, I did some research, you know, on my own, but Anna has always been, um, even to this day, she's, I, I, I never have to question any of her, you know, moves or, or, or things that have to do with Nicholas educational wise, because she's obviously the, the expert on it, you know? And, but honestly, I learn all, everything I learn is from her because she'll, you know, be constantly sending me links to, you know, different support groups or, or different articles or, and stuff like that. And that's how I learned, I, you know, I learned everything through her and, um, even like I said, even to this day, all Nicholas's like educational choices, she, you know, we're always, she always keeps me in the loop on things like, Hey, um, this is what's going on with IEP. This is, I think that we, what we should change, you know, this is, I think we should go for cool. Yeah, I agree. But anything educational wise, I, I never question her at all because she's obviously the, the resident expert here. So, um, like I said, we always, we always collaborate on things, but I've I've never questioned any type of move uh, that she said that she would recommend for Nicholas yeah. on that aspect. I know. I just can't get over that. It was just so meant to be. I mean, everything about your guy's story, it was he was always meant to be in our family. You know, mm-hmm. all the three kids. I, your story freaks me out. I swear. Yeah. It's just so, um, just so wild. But... Um, so when you brought in Nati to the mix um, and you guys just said, we're going to figure it out because this has already been now four years ago at this point, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you threw in a third child, but how do you guys support Bubba and how do the dynamics between the three siblings work? Man, that's, there's so much to that. Like That's a and, whole another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Parenting. Yes. Um, I mean, he he is in everything. He has occupational therapy. He has ABA, which is applied behavioral analysis. It's a different therapy. He's in school. Um, and then obviously, like, at home, like, it, even when, like, the therapists and stuff are not there anymore, like, we're still constantly prompting him and, and trying to teach him just things as simple as sitting with his brother and sister, like, allowing them to sit next to him, you know, things like that. Um, and I feel like I don't, I don't even, I can't even take the credit for the way that my kids are with them. The other two, like I was just, I just sent him a text yesterday. I think it was mm-hmm. where Nicholas was, he wanted YouTube on the TV. And if I go put YouTube on the TV, it is going to take 15 minutes for him to decide what video he wants to watch. And, and in the morning 
we're running out of there. Like, I don't have 15 minutes to find a video for him, you know? So I just said, I'm like, Nicholas, I'm sorry. Mom doesn't have time right now. I'm getting ready. And so he's, he kept saying, Mom, YouTube, Monster Trucks. And he kept saying it over and over again. It's like, and then Elias got like frustrated with me. And he's like, Mommy, Bubba needs help. And so then I said, I'm sorry. You know, I, I can't help right now. So then he grabs the remote and he says, Alexa, put Monster Trucks YouTube for Bubba. And so like he's trying to help him, you know, and and I'm just like, who what did we do to deserve like these these kids that are empathetic and just know that he needs more help sometimes than than they do. And then like an hour later, Natalia wakes up and she sees Bubba sitting on the potty. He's still in diapers. We're still trying to potty train him. Mm-hmm. So for him to go and sit on the toilet independently, like go and do it without me prompting him. It's a big deal, but she even knows that that's a big deal. So she starts yelling for me and she's like, mommy, Bubba's sitting on the potty. He's going potty. Yay, Bubba. So she's like, you know, cheering clapping him for him on. and cheering him on. Oh my gosh. And it's like, we're all in it, you know, mm-hmm. we're all in it. And my, my little ones kn- just know that it's not the same thing for them to go sit on the potty and for him. Like she doesn't cheer for Elias like that <laughs> when he goes and sits on the potty. Like she does it for Bubba because they just know. because she just knows. And if they see him upset, you know, I've seen both of them do it and and go up to him and say, you know, Bubba, Bubba, say I want, I want, and they're like prompting him to say what he wants so he won't be frustrated anymore. Um, and us doing those things and our and our families doing those things, they've just picked up on it and they're learning how to, how to help him. So those are good days. (laughs) And then there's the days that are normal where they are running around and playing and they want to play with one of his trucks and they want to play with some of his blocks and, and he's flipping out because they're touching his things and we have to talk to them and, and tell them, you know, sometimes we can't just snatch his things but then there's other times where we have to talk to him and say like hey we this is how we're going to share and we'll sit there with them and and work with them on on sharing and it's not always like cupcakes and rainbows at home you know it, it because they it's not completely fair to them to just let him run the show completely you know like i, I there is a lot of stuff that we do that caters to him but they're still so little and I always tell him, you know, I'm, I try to figure out the balance between with like with our parenting for them to not ever resent him because they he gets more attention or more a little bit more give than them, you know. So I don't know, it's, it's just kind of it's kind of hard to balance. And it's just more of like a day by day thing that we yeah. take on um, with them, like we we've been trying to put the kids in sports and stuff. And even though he's not doing that right now, like Natalia is Elias is going to start just so that they still get some, some normalcy, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Out of their life. And I imagine like that just comes along with parents. Mm -hmm. I think in general, because I almost all my friends have kids. I was talking to one of my friends early said, wow, I think it's just the stage right now. And we were talking about the different dynamics and, she was like, and it was like from one kid to the next, the differences were so drastic and just 
she's like, one kid slept, the other one doesn't. One sits there and does what I ask them to do, and mm-hmm. the other one's climbing all over the tables. And she's like, I, there's nothing. And I, she's like, and sometimes I don't even know why. One day we have a great day, and the next day I'm crying in the room. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. So parenthood, right? You guys are just, it's just an adjustment and learning. And I like that you guys kind of, um, you'll figure it out. I feel like that is just the best motto because unfortunately I am you know people don't always make it you know the statistics of divorce um when children are special special needs or have a disability is that the proper term by the way disability or special needs Either one, I Either think. one? Okay. Yeah. I know that the lingo and the language changes consistently, and mm-hmm. I always want to make sure that I'm respectful because it, it can be hard sometimes with education and knowing the proper words, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be disrespectful or, you know, so that makes me, it's like, I, I feel like I should. I'm in education, but still, <laughs> it changes so frequently. I'm always asking questions. Have you guys ever had, um, and this might be a little too personal, but have you ever had a time when you felt super embarrassed by any of his behaviors? Like if you were in public or anything like that, or you guys have just kind of been. No, I've, I've never, I've never been embarrassed. Um, it's uh, Nicholas may have autism, but Nicholas is also a, a kid, you know, and us as parents, we know the difference between when he's having a hard time or he's being a toddler, hmm. you know, and, and you really have to know where that line is too, because like Anna said, we tend to give Nicholas a lot more um, time and patience with him than the other two. Um, But we know the difference when he's just being a little butthead and he's being (laughs) a toddler. And when he's having a bad time, when he's having a bad time, we give him that extra time and we try to work through it. And we try to do things like that when he's being a little butthead we make sure he knows that he's being a little butthead. You how know what you, I mean? So how do you distinguish between the two and, and how does discipline work? I can. So if, if um, it, it's hard to explain, we, I can really know when he's having a hard time and it can be something as little as, um, okay. So the, the way the a children's mind works, who has autism is just remarkable. Like they're, they, they see the world in a completely different sense than your, uh, than your, you know, a regular person or a neuro, what was it? Neurotypical. Your neurotypical kid or your neurotypical person. Um, so he's, he's so meticulous about his toys and his blocks and, um, when things like cars and trucks, whatever he's into. So if he, like the other day I was telling Anna, he, he, we had a bunch of, uh, little nectar, the cuties, the little oranges. And he started on the counter and he started grabbing them and he started stacking them right one on top of each other, but he was getting mad because they wouldn't stay stacked. And so he was, it was literally, he kept trying and trying and trying and they wouldn't stay stacked up. And he got so worked up to the point where he started being self-injurious and hitting his head and, and screaming and, and crying. And so that's a behavior that we give him more time with and we'll work through it and 
I'll sit them down. I'll give them squeezes. I'll, I'll try to get them to communicate with me what's why he's mad versus um, not wanting to share a toy. You know what I mean? With one of the kids. That's the difference between those two different behaviors. And if he's – and I'll give him time if he's struggling with something like he did with the cuties. But when it comes to something where he's yelling or screaming at one of the other kids because they took his toys – that I'll approach that to where Nicholas, no, that's not what we do. We need to share. Okay. If, if, if your brother or your sister wants to play with that toy, we have to, we have to share, you know? So it's, there's two different ways. Or if he's throws himself on the ground because I tell him no, because he wanted ice cream, <laughs> that's being a butthead, <laughs> you know? And I'll tell Nicholas, no, you're not getting ice cream, you know? So those are, that's kind of two different examples of behaviors and how we approach, mm-hmm. you know, this one part discipline. I have spanked him, you know, a couple yeah. times because he's, he's being a toddler, mm-hmm. you know, but, and, and that's with the other two also, you know, yeah. if they, if they, if the discipline needs to come in, uh, but we've never, um, we've never been embarrassed, um, about his behaviors. Just going back on that. We, yeah. um, we always, um, me and Anna always said, we're, we're, we're going to expose him to the real world. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he deserves that. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not going to hold back on taking him to restaurants. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we know he's going to be loud, even if we know, you know, if he's going to have a little bit of behavior, but he, that's okay. You know, and, and may it bother other people? Uh, it may, sure. It may do it, but we're not embarrassed by it because we, number one, we know how to handle the situation. And I love that. And, and we, we're not, we don't, we just, just don't, don't hold back. No, way. we don't yeah. see it that way. You know, we don't hold back. And going off of that, like recently I had um, one of his service providers talking to me about him and we we're going over his progress and whatnot. And she, she asked me, cause he makes a lot of noises, right? He makes a lot of noises and they can be just regular humming. And then sometimes it can get really loud, but we're just used to it. He does it all day long at home. And if he's not doing it, the house sounds weird. Like the house does <laughs> not sound like our house because he's making noises all day long. And that's just what our house sounds like, you know? So the service provider had asked me, um, Okay, and and what do you guys do um, with Nicholas's humming? And I was like, mm, well, you know, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, you know, how do you, how do you get him to stop? And then she was telling me like what what she's done for other kids or whatever that hum, you know, really loud. She goes because you know I'm sure you guys can't go to church or a restaurant or anything like that because you know he's humming so loud. And I said. Um, we don't do anything about it. We let him because it's a sensory thing for him. He needs to get that out. I go, so yes, we do go to restaurants. Is he loud? Yes. Are people around probably annoyed? Yes. Do I care? No, because he still deserves to go and sit at a restaurant, go to church, go anywhere he wants to, regardless of what noises he's making. I will never care what other people are feeling because because of his noises. Like It's just not a priority for me to put into his plan of something that we need to fix him. So having self self injurious behavior, that's something that I do want to address. That is something that we're trying to help him with because that's something that's hurting him. But anything else that is just something that makes somebody else uncomfortable. That's not, that's not a priority for me. You know, I love that. I love that because it's, I feel like it can get 
easy to make it about everyone else and not about the child who requires different needs, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I really, I admire that about you both. And I know that people say that to you, man, I love, I love your patience. I love, you know, and you guys are like, well, we just kind of do it. It is what it is, but it really is truly remarkable. And I, and I don't just say that because you're family or because I'm being nice. I say that because people are, we're all human and Sometimes I imagine you lose your temper or I imagine you have bad days that behind closed doors that nobody will ever see mm-hmm. because it's your story and you guys handle it how you handle it. But I also think that it's just it truly it shows me a lot in my character. And I'm like, man, like the patience that you have. And I mean, I've he's been around for six years. We just love him so much. He he's mm-hmm. so funny. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, Hey Bubba. He's like, no, thank you. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and it just, I love his honesty. He's going to, he's not going to be like some other kids. Oh, ha. You know, they're, he's like, if I don't want to talk to you, I'm not going to. And I'm like, I wish I had that confidence. I'm such a people pleaser yeah. that it's so yeah. he just says, yeah. no, thank you. And just, <laughs> it cracks me up every time. Um, but I've also seen so much progress. Mm-hmm. He says, hello. He asks. He says, no, thank you. He he's verbal. Mm-hmm. I see him playing with other kids. I've seen him in pictures with your with his siblings. Do you guys ever just stop and look back and be like, whoa, this is progress? Or do you just feel like you're so wrapped up in it? No, we definitely see the progress. Um, I mean, even like going back like in our camera rolls and stuff, like obviously I can go back in my brain and and see all those things. But just sometimes I'll look at my camera roll and I'm looking at like old videos and then I see him not talking or, you know, when back when he was nonverbal to now and how he is now and how he kind of cracks jokes and says really funny things. And, and I, before I would tell Nick, like, man, I cannot wait until the day that I hear my son talking Mm -hmm. like, and so to, to, to have that back then that like yearning to want to hear my son talk and then to have that down to hear his voice. Like I couldn't ask for anything more. Like, and we still, like you said, like we're, we're in it and we're still pushing for him, but I do stop and look back and think like, man, look at all this progress. Yeah, because it's been a lot of work. It's a lot of a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of adjusting. And it's just so cool to see because I think I imagine that a lot of times when people receive this type of news, the choice is either you crumble or you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys have chosen to figure it out. And it's... I. I bet there were times when you tried things and they just didn't work and then you had to retry and it's a consistency about it. It's a consistent, he knows what to expect that you guys, uh, he knows, he knows (laughs) he's very smart. I mean, he, he's, he's so smart. And before I kind of jump to my next thing, Nick, can you tell me about the puzzle story? Oh, yes. Please tell, tell these people because this (laughs) always amazes me and because this is one of the times that you told me that you started to um, really see how unique and remarkable his mind is yes so like i mentioned he he sees things completely different than you know your neurotypical person or child um so on that story um 
somebody gave him a, a puzzle. Um, I don't remember if it was for his birthday or what it was for, but he hadn't opened it yet. I think it was just sitting in his room and it was, wasn't a big puzzle. It was probably like, you know, 15 pieces or so. And there were the bigger puzzle pieces. And I was, and I wasn't home and I think it was just me and him. And I was running around the house doing stuff, picking up or whatever I was doing. And he brought it over to me and he's like, um, dad open. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever to keep him busy, you know, at this time while I'm running around doing stuff. So I opened up the puzzle and I'm, I put it on the table and he sat down on the table and he started playing with it. And I kept doing what I was doing. And every once in a while I go check on him and he was still at the table. Excuse me. And I went back. Um, he had left, he had left the table and I'd walked by, um, to go to the room or something. And I looked on the table and I saw that he had put the puzzle together, but he had put the puzzle together upside down. So you can only see like the backside of the puzzle, all the the actual picture was facing down on the table. And I just stopped and I looked and I was like, did he just put that puzzle together upside down? And I wasn't physically watching him, but it was be the only way that he could, you know, have completed it. And I was like, wow. And it just kind of, it kind of shocked me. Cause then I started thinking him back and I forgot how old he was when he did this. He might've been like four years old or something like that. But then I looked back to, um, to listening and seeing all the other stuff he did, he does, because like I said, he, I, I may not be able to go home and ask my son how his day was because he can't have that conversation with me, you know, but the kid is so smart and book smart. It's, it's not even funny. And he can, you know, and since he was little, I think, um, maybe like two years old before, before that he would, um, you know, he had those little foam um, numbers and letters that go in the bathtub mm -hmm. and he would line them all up in order, his ABCs. Oh my gosh. You know, for, in order from A to Z. And he was nonverbal. Yeah. He's, and this is like at, at, at two years old, you know, and then he'd line up his, his numbers, you know, one through 10. And when I saw him do that puzzle, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You know what I mean? Just a little but, prodigy. Yeah. But that's just the way his mind works. He doesn't need to see the complete picture of something. He can figure it out. You know, he can put a, he can put a puzzle together, you know, without, you know, seeing the finished product, you know, it's just how his mind works. It's, it's, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Uh, What's one thing that you have learned Specifically from Bubba. Man, I've learned so much. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Besides patience? Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Patience for sure. Um, and just giving things time, hope, really. Um, because we had, we I, and I still do. I mean, we had so many different hopes and stuff for him. And, and all of those things kind of changed. It's helped me be more flexible. Um, and just like you said, we have these expectations for our kids and our life and how things are going to go. And it's just kind of helped me with letting things happen as they happen and figuring it out along the way. I think that's the biggest one for me is just, um, letting things fall where they go for me. Like I, I'm like, 
with everything I do, I'm like kind of borderline OCD, you know? So like, I've always had a plan, you know, like my whole life, I'm, you know, we'll do this. So, you know, no matter what thing I tackle in life, I'd always try to have a plan. But when you have a child with autism, those plans kind of go out the door and you live life day by day in the moment and you're constantly adjusting and you're constantly trying new things. So yeah, the patience is one thing, but I think the biggest thing for me is just letting things go and letting, letting the chips fall where they may and, and living in that moment, taking it on in that moment, that task, and then throwing it out the door and let's go to the next day. Yeah. You know. Do you guys have any um, advice for any other parents who might be early on in the stages or maybe are just from your own perspective at any stage of their child with autism? Yeah, I would say for me, one of the biggest things is early intervention. The earlier, the better for kids with autism and it's okay to have to be scared. It's okay to have those doubts. You know, that's, it's a, it's a typical, it's a normal thing, especially for a parent. And, but just know that you're not the only one out there and there's plenty, there's so much support. You know, there's so many groups out there on social media and throughout the, throughout your community. There's so much help out there that don't feel like you're alone because there's a lot of help. Just all you have to do is reach out and with children with autism, the earlier, the better, because the earlier they get those services, the earlier you get the thing, the ball rolling, their chance, their chance of success is so much higher, so much greater than waiting till your kid gets in high school to try to figure stuff out. Yeah, You know what I mean? Well, I imagine that it would be a natural response to want to ignore or to avoid the situation because it's, we think it's easier not to know. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Because that realization is a hard pill to swallow, you know, once, but at the same time, as you guys mentioned, he did have early intervention and he's more successful because of that early intervention. And there's always ways to go back and there, and there's not go back, but I mean, there's always ways that if, if someone doesn't know till their child is eight, it's not the end of the world. There's still ways for them to get those interventions. And um, I'll ask for resources towards the end, but did you have any advice, Anna, for any parents out there? I would say what, what Nick said for sure and educating yourself, but a big thing for me is just not giving up on your child. Don't fall into the stereotypes that are out there of what autism is. And for example, you know, a lot of people think like, well, kids with autism don't want to interact with other kids or they don't want to interact with other people. They do. And I can't imagine how lonely it must be for some kids that have family that thinks that they don't want to interact, you know, that they don't want to have relationships with other people. It gets human nature for people to want that. And if your child is sitting there by themselves playing and you think that they don't want you there, like it's not that they don't want you there. It's just, it's just something that they're not able to do yet. So just keep working at building those relationships. Like I had a student one year, I'll, it was my first year and I'll never forget. We were doing a lesson on like the power of yet. And we were talking about the things that we cannot do yet. And so this student was nonverbal as well. 
super bright kid and he wrote um and he actually had a parent that would say all the time you know he doesn't he doesn't want to talk to us he doesn't want to play with us he doesn't you know she had all these doubts in him and I would always talk to her and say you know just try to help her anyway so he wrote on his paper there was like three lines and he said that he couldn't ride his bike yet he couldn't um do something else yet and then the last one that he put was that he couldn't yet play with friends and and then at the end it just says I can't do that but I will one day and I just thought to myself like this kid knows that that's just something that he's not able to do right now but he wants it that's something that he wants to do and I showed his mom and she was just like bawling crying I'm bawling crying I'm I'm getting choked up it's fine (laughs) (laughs) and you know it's you people just think that that a lot of these individuals don't want relationships they do they just they need the tools to learn how to have a relationship with somebody how to socialize with them how to communicate that's one of the biggest things of autism is is the troubles that they have with being able to communicate so just don't give up on your child or even if it's an adult that has been diagnosed you know don't give up on anyone because they do want those relationships and I can't imagine how lonely they must feel if they do have people around them that have given up on them thinking that they, you know, that they don't want to socialize. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much out there, right? I would like if maybe after this conversation, if you guys can send me an email with some of your go-to resources, maybe some helpful books, maybe some um, local or even national you know, groups, you Mm -hmm. did mention some support groups. Um, that'd be helpful. I'll put that in the description down below or when I have uh, the podcast, when it plays, it'll be in the description for people to click the links and we can work on that afterwards. But is there anything else that you guys wanted to add before we close? There's so much to learn. (laughs) It felt like you guys are just like you said, he's six now. So he's in school and you guys, do you guys have any new upcoming um, goals that you have for him? Well, we just we just had a um, what did you have with this teacher? Oh, it's parent teacher conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, really for for us, like we just take it one step at a time, and when we see that he's able to tackle one new thing, we just push him a little further. And so right now, like his, I feel like his communication is just starting to boom, and so that's like one thing that we're really working on. And um, I just I can only hope for him to to grow in that and to be able to have a better relationship with his brother and his sister, which I've been seeing, you know, already um, that's been changing a lot. And so just really feeding off of that and, and moving forward. Yeah. One of the things I, I love, you guys go camping a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that just one of your family's favorite activities you guys like to do? Cause he's, there he is. I see him playing. I see him he loves camping. Yeah, he, loves he loves camping. He loves being at the beach. Um, that's just totally his whole happy place. So that's just an easy place for us to go because he loves it. And all of, all three of the kids can play, you know, Disneyland, some, some place like that being super overwhelming and tons of people and noise and stuff like that's not a place really that we can do yet, but we can take him camping and him still be happy there. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of places that he can go to, but that's just one place that we can enjoy like a whole weekend and know that we're going to be okay. There's going to be minimal meltdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, your family or our family net grew up 
camping. So I I just love that you guys haul them up in the trailer, you pack up and you get out of town. <laughs> I think it's so fun when you guys are going next. Uh, I don't I don't think we're going to we're going May. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Memorial weekend. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you both. I know that there there's a lot of things that you guys are still learning and growing in and I imagine I'll probably have you on again just because you guys are a wealth of resources and there are families out there who probably have genuinely never heard of another family and they probably feel very alone, as you mentioned, because, and I mean, outside of, you guys are just so blessed to even have like siblings that mm-hmm. are, you guys can at least relate to. And, but there are people who truly are on their own Island and don't have other people. And so I like that you guys mentioned Go outside of your circle, look for those groups, whatever it takes to even take care of yourselves, right? To to ask for help when you need it. And I know it's easier said than done. Everyone's like, oh, ask for help. And you're just like, you have no freaking clue what you're talking about. Um, you're like, thank you. I didn't know. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I think that it's just so cool. And I learned so much from you all. And I, I imagine, like I said, there'll be more questions. But as you learn, as you grow, I'll probably even update the resources on this podcast, but thank you so much for sharing Bubba's story. He is so loved and he makes this world a brighter place. And it's just, I don't know. He's, he's awesome, but I will talk soon.